intro music. I don't know whose that is, but it's it's nice to have. You got to give credit. Who was it? No, I have no idea. It came with the box. Oh, perfect. So I'm guessing it's free. We'll find out if I get sued. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes on them. I got no money. <laughs> <laughs> This is the In the Field Podcast, brought to you by Pheasant Bonanza. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. We have the one and only, the man who thinks ketchup is spicy, <laughs> the Elk Domer, Trent Joseph Licklider. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Then we have an even better guest, the head of HR at Pheasant Bonanza, Nate Dog <laughs> Sears. Nate, you got to say hi. Say hi. Hello. <laughs> Put the mic a little <laughs> closer. The closer to there you go. Yep. Now you can sit back there. And then we got our head guide off to the right. The head guide, the Louis Vuitton cowboy, the head of the Russian mafia (laughs) (laughs) with that hat on. Butters. You know what it is. You bet. He does look Russian. (laughs) (laughs) And then the best looking guy at Fesmananza, the one and only, the The true one and only. Troy Wakefield's not here. (laughs) (laughs) He is pretty good looking. Well, mm-hmm. I heard uh, Abigail even say that he was good looking. She did say that. <laughs> I think my cowboy hat looks better though. I don't know. We've heard, we've heard from multiple people that Troy is the best looking guy. Multiple women. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sixty year old mountain goat. Greatest of all time. Greatest of all time. He does a lot of zigzagging when he walks. I don't mm-hmm. know if I do, would do that much zigzagging. Did you see that reel of Raven? No. The one guy that filmed for Beyond the Hunt, he sent a pretty cool reel of oh, Raven. Uh, cool. I'll have to look at it. Yeah. Has Troy seen it? I don't know. I'm trying to f- figure out how to download a video off Instagram. Mm-hmm. It's not like Facebook. Well, get rid of your TikTok and you'll learn Instagram a lot better. <laughs> <laughs> it is going. You know that, right? It's yeah. going, going, gone. But Instagram reels, they're almost there. They're, they're getting there. Yeah, but it's the same videos that were on TikTok two weeks ago. So? <laughs> when TikTok's gone, it'll be the only thing you have. <laughs> yeah, but you will get all the random stuff. Like, I like the weird random stuff no. that you find on TikTok. It's my, your toilet time. It's it's your... It's, it's your <laughs> when you got those little crap tickets in there, you're in there... <laughs> <laughs> I can hear it in my office. <laughs> the only better way to in between is explosions. <laughs> the only better way to spend toilet time, in my opinion, was Tinder. But now and yeah. you're still on that. No, I'm not on that anymore. Abigail, are you listening? Abigail, you are my one and only. Grinder. Now he's on Grinder. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Abby loves me, but those guys can love me too for a small fee of two ninety nine an hour, minimum of three hours. Two dollars ninety nine cents. All right, so we got a couple topics. We're going to start off. Uh, Trent just got done with an elk hunt and was successful. It was successful for you and Ron, and then. John was just on here a few days ago, and he was the photographer. 
And videographer. And videographer. Get it right. And yeah. pack goat. <laughs> pack goat. Is that the main reason you invited him? You know, I knew we needed somebody to help us because uh, last year we had like four guides and Sam, our camera guy, Sam didn't bring a, a pack. So I made sure I, I brought a pack for John <laughs> and he he now realizes what another 150, 60 pounds on his back looks like. That was me. Okay. Um, Come on, shut your phone off. You guys know better. We- Sherry's calling you. Give her a yeah. text. Give yeah, her shoot a- her a text. You're busy now. I'll talk to you in a bit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, have you had Sherry on here yet? I have not. I need to get her on here. We need to get her on. Get booking a hunt. <laughs> Things not to do when booking a hunt. Um. So we're going to the same outfitters. Go ahead, give them a plug. Yep. So uh, we got the Superior Outfitters, and uh, if you want to book a hunt, you go through us. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Anthony Madrid and his son, Anthony Jr., are the outfitters. Uh, in camp this year, there was 10 tags. And when I left, I believe they only had three left to fill. And I heard of one more. I haven't heard if the other guy filled. But yesterday was the last day of the season. So they have 10 tags. Say a guy comes in, doesn't shoot anything. They can use that tag for another group. No, um, this season is a little different. So um, they had, it's a late rifle season for unit 5B is what it was. And so we're up in, um, by Cuba, um, La Jara, New Mexico. And the way that the, there's landowner vouchers. So like we would draw, and if you don't draw, you buy the landowner voucher. So that's how that works. If you draw, that, that tag's good for you. But anybody could buy that landowner voucher if you don't if you don't fill, you know. So example, if I if I bought a landowner voucher and um, I did not fill, I do believe that they can use that to harvest an elk. But I do not think that they can uh, take that to another season. I think okay. it's only good for that season. I'd have to double check on that. And like, is it a true draw or is it preference points? No, it's true draw. True draw. What's your you know your odds of drawing? No, it's not good. Not good. Not very good. I'd like to draw. It'd be a lot cheaper. <laughs> would you do it by yourself? You mean the hunt? Yeah. If you drew, would you still go through the outfitter? Because you're hunting public, aren't you? Yeah. Uh, I thought about that this year. I was like, boy, could I do this on my own? And it is just, I just don't have the experience yet. Just don't have the experience. They are so good at just, I mean, obviously they know the area, but they are so good at spotting elk. It's its incredible. They're spotting them two miles away, mile and three quarters. One was 2.2 miles. Is is pretty neat. Did you have the same chef? No. Uh, Chico <laughs> was not there. His dad was there. <laughs> Chico's dad's a, a lot more professional. <laughs> so Chico's uh Mom and dad were the cooks there. And uh, one cool thing that we did was we ended up hauling up uh, New York strips from Nebraska and pork chops, Husker chops, and went all the way up to uh, the top of the mountain, and we, we grilled them on, the, on a fire up there. So that was, that was one of our lunches. It was pretty sweet. I didn't think of that. It was awesome. So we land in camp. When, when did you leave? Monday. No. no, no, no. I uh, we left on Friday morning, 
got there Friday midday, and we went and shot a hundred round or excuse me a hundred yards, and then we backed up to four hundred, shot that, and knew that we were on. Went back to camp, had dinner. Next morning we start. We we went out. So I shot mine on the eighteenth, which would have been day two i believe day two day one did we see anything oh yeah we saw a lot so last year you were done in 48 hours we were no we were both done on day one we were done within um, the first day of the season uh, ron shot his in the morning uh, last year i shot mine in the afternoon evening and then uh, we held back the next day so this this year was a little bit different um ron didn't shoot his until day four okay, so day one we've seen a bunch day two i shoot mine uh, I shot a five by six bull. Yeah, give us a little story. Okay. Come on. All right. All right. So we're up on top of this mountain. And once again, I was not in mountain shape. I think I am every year. How cold is it? It was negative three, negative four in the morning. That's not windshield. That's just real temp. And we go up these. Number one, we're not acclimated to 8,300 feet. I'm not blaming. I'm not using that excuse. It's just the truth. When we used to wrestle in college, we'd go um, compete in Montana or anywhere at a lot of elevation. We'd always go a couple days before to get acclimated. And so we literally are there the day before. The next morning, negative two, negative three, we jump out of the truck in a warm truck that's 85 degrees and start hiking up this mountain. And it is a burn on the old lungs. Like, instant burn and the first like john and i talked the first 15 20 minutes of that hike was the worst just burning those lungs with that cold air and uh and i was huffing and puffing i'm not gonna lie i, I was wow so anyways we get to the top um on this is uh, day one we get to the top of the mountain and we see three bulls and ron doesn't i'm letting ron shoot first again um He's kind of the host of this trip, and and he's just, you know, with our relationship, I wanted him to shoot his long shot. He wanted a a shot over 850. He preferred 1,000 yards. So we have this uh, these bulls at like 855, 855, and if the a bigger bull than last year would have uh, presented himself, he would have shot it. So we didn't have anything bigger, and he's actually dry firing on a bull that was, uh, I'd say, a small 5x5. Five five. And after this whole situation, day two, he goes, I should have shot that bull. So I always tell people, if you would shoot that bull on your last day, shoot it. All right, we had an argument about this with Russell Templin. Oh, did he get on the podcast? Yeah, we did a podcast with him. Cool. Is it the trigger pull or is it the experience? It's the experience. So, but, but anyways, so I'll, you're right. Yeah, it's the experience, and and this is what he said. I didn't want the same situation as last year. Being done in 24 hours, right? And, and not even that. It was just like the same exact shot, almost the same yardage. You know, between that 850 and 900 yards really the same point we're at the same point as last year yeah that's a big difference i mean it's total you've already done this if this would have been like a thirty thousand dollar doll sheep hunt oh yeah you just shoot it yeah but so anyways and we we saw plenty of elk so there was three there the bigger one never presented itself we ended up hiking down driving around um we saw i think seven bulls that first day 
and none of them were uh, to my liking, so I was kind of being picky. I just wanted to choose some a little bit bigger than last year, and Ron just wanted a long shot, just any any size bigger than his. So, and, uh, and Ron didn't shoot a very big one last year, did he? No, it was a five by five. It was a small five by five. And so, anyways, day two, we go out, and the morning we had kind of a we had elk on the run. It was kind of a disaster. Um, we're coming through this public ground, and there was people um, out there already. Anyways, long story short, we ended up uh, going up to another uh, mountain on the or another high point on the same mountain that we were on day one. And we're out there glassing, and we saw quite a few bulls, but he sees one that's about a mile, over a mile and a half. It's like 1.7 miles from where, we're, where we were glassing, and he thought it was only 100 yards off of the road. And so he's like, let's go. Got a bull. Let's go. We got to hurry. It's only 100 yards off the road. He was worried that somebody was going to drive by and just shoot it because there's public hunters. I mean, mm -hmm. it's public. Well, we get over there, and it was like 1,000 yards off of the off of the road. <laughs> But we go up, down, around. We can't find this bull. And there was actually two bulls there. And the bigger one is the one we were after. We have 18 minutes until sun um, last light, or excuse me, uh, last shooting time. So we were already past sundown. We're 18 minutes past, um, or 12 minutes past, and 18 left. And we end up, this bull presents itself um, head on. So just his neck and his mane. And I could see his antlers, and I said, I'll shoot him. So we set up, and he goes, put one right in his chest. And so I shot him in the chest. He turned broadside, uh, took one, put it right in the heart. And so I'm tagged out. That was awesome. But it was not 100 yards off the road. What time? And I didn't get a good video. Uh, John and Ron ended up going back to the truck. They were going to work around and, and actually do a push for us. We didn't need them, but uh, we, didn't, we didn't get to see the bigger bull. What time did you get done packing out? That day it was like uh, six. It about six forty-five, almost seven. That that day, almost seven. You were done packing out. Yep, well, that's not but too bad. but the the good thing is, so there's a couple stories here. The we had two other guides that just got done uh, harvesting their guys' elk, and I'll go back to that. But uh, they're on the road. Uh, we meet them. He said, "Hey." You know, we shot this bull. Can you guys come up? So they grabbed their packs, hauled all the way up the mountain. They took two quarters, and then we only had to take the back straps, um, you know, the loin and the the cape and the and the rack. Oh, that's not bad. No, so it was for three guys or four guys. Um, let's see, four of us. We took the rest of it. It was super easy. How long does it take for them guides to break down on elk? Uh, from start to finish, I'd say thirty minutes. Wow. So do they even They're get quick. do they even gut it? They don't even touch the guts unless unless you go into the inner inner loin. But you got all that cavity that they don't even go through the guts. They just cut everything off and it's just a football kind of sitting there. It's just a football. Yep. It's pretty cool. So going back to that story, the the one of the guys that just shot um, an elk or uh, his guys shot two elk. It was even a super high um, mountain, and they went up there and they got all the way up there. They didn't have a knife, <laughs> and so it was uh, sun was coming down and it was like late or it was like midday. They took their pictures. They decided because it was such a hike that they're two elk, same spot that they were going to come back the next morning. 
So they slept in a little bit, came back the next morning, hauled everything down. It took them, I would say, four to five hours minimum. Got everything to the meat, um, the uh, meat processor. All the meat was bad. How was it bad that fast? They didn't gut it, and it it spoiled. And that meat processor processor said um, it just spoiled from the inside out. So I don't know if they gut shot them or what happened, but every bit of that meat stunk. And they said when they opened it up the next day, it got down negative negative degrees um, that the meat just stunk, and it was still warm. Huh? Which I was surprised because it got cold. I was I was thinking more it would be coyotes or you know maybe a mountain lion something to eat it versus uh, being just spoiled because I've heard of people shooting deer and going back the next day and still you know salvage some of the meat now they probably won't do the meat that's close to the to the guts but able to take a quarter every bit of the meat was bad. That just goes to show how well they're able to insulate themselves because they Absolutely. kept that. Yeah. Like, they said they were still it was still warm. That's not still warm. Dead for probably twelve hours and still warm on the inside, and negative well, degrees. Probably, yeah. I would say even closer to sixteen, seventeen hours. It was holy cow. Yeah, but one of those uh, bulls. Getting, I'm kind of getting off subject. One of those bulls had a broken skull from fighting. His antler was shifted when they caped him out. I watched, uh, looked at the cape. He had a um, a broken skull from one of his right antler all the way back to his spinal cord completely broke so you could take those antlers and move them and move them can you imagine the headache what? that that bull had from fighting unbelievable it's unbelievable you know that you can live yes. that you can live with a broken skull <laughs> totally broken you see deer fight and it's just like oh the one's just you know through your head you're just thinking one's just pushing the other one out one's gonna give up but they're actually trying to kill each other. Oh, for sure they are. Stab for that blessed. elk. I was thinking, what kind of headache did that elk have? Oh. So, anyways, that was neat. Uh, another cool thing about camp. Um, well, and I'll go back to Ron's story, but we had a seventy-four-year-old in camp, and he shot the day we left that evening. And the guide sent me a, a picture of his elk. He shot at five hundred yards. He was saying. That guy walked him to death, not not quite to death, but close. And when he shot that bull, he said he was so emotional because he said this is his last time. He realized going out there that this this was tough. I mean, really hard. And he was a good. Um, he was in great shape for a seventy four year old, and didn't have any extra weight or anything. But you know, seventy four years old in a mountain that's tough. That's impressive. And he, I guess he got super emotional, which was so neat. And that guy'd go, this is why I do this. I thought it was cool. I will, <laughs> 74 years old. I hope I can do an elk hunt. No kidding. <laughs> so going back to Ron's day four. Um, so then day three, um, not much action. We saw a lot, but just didn't have a good opportunity uh, to get set up. Day four, we uh, were out there and we hike up to the highest point in this whole national, or in this whole national forest. And we get up there, and we uh, we're glassing. And Anthony Junior is so amazing at glassing. He goes right here, right here, right here. 
200 and like 40 yards. So line of sight, it ended up only being a 220 yard shot because we were down, I think like 30 some degrees straight down. And this bull was right behind this dead branch. And uh, Ron was willing to take the shot. It was a five by six, but it wasn't the shot he wanted. It was just uh, day four, you know, and, and we knew a winter storm was coming in uh, in Nebraska. And so we wanted to get home. He took the shot. Great shot. Pretty cool story. Um, I went down the backside of the mountain and uh, went back to the truck and drove around. It was like nine miles back around uh, to the bottom. They went straight down the mountain. And I, when I mean straight down, it was straight down. They were on their butts dragging to get down this mountain. And uh, John John would even tell you, he goes, that was scary going down that mountain. <laughs> And uh, they get down there and they start quartering out this uh, caping and quartering out the elk. So I went down and then I had to come hike back up the mountain, which was another awesome workout. And I met them, actually snuck up on them. It was kind of fun. They were so loud going through the trees. And uh, I made a screech like, <laughs> and Junior, he's part Indian, he goes, I about drew on you. He goes, I thought there was a cat behind us. <laughs> but, but it was funny because Ron Ron didn't even hear me, and I go, <laughs> you know, a couple times. Ron's just blowing through the brush, but you could tell, like, Anthony, he's so aware of his surroundings. And John heard me, too. He's like, I almost drew on you. <laughs> he goes, I thought there was a cat on us. <laughs> and there's cats everywhere. We saw tracks. Um, if we would have found a really fresh track, the problem is this year there was no snow. Uh, I say no snow. There was not any fresh snow. It was just uh, mountain snow. So it was, it's been worked over quite a bit. And if they find a uh, fresh track, you can get the mountain lion tag and call uh, an outfit, and they'll they'll put a, their dogs on it right away if you find a hot track. That'd be pretty cool. That would so be we were looking the whole time, and he even said there was one track that was uh, he thought was twenty four hours. If it would have been twelve to thirteen hours, then he would have uh, called the the outfitter, and we would have had somebody would have had to pay for the mountain lion right. because we're we're not going to let an opportunity <laughs> like that. John would have done it. John wanted to shoot a cat. Why wouldn't you? Yeah, and last year, well, one of the elk that was shot in this late season, they shot the elk, and then the two cats were up on the ridge going towards the elk after they shot, and they ended up shooting one of the cats. They didn't find it, but they shot it. So they actually watched these cats go along the ridge, and they shot it um, going towards their elk. That's nuts. There's cats everywhere. This it's, is crazy country out there. And, oh, yeah. and the mountains. Um, I was showing my kids last night. When I took that road back, there was some there was a few weird sounds and I was going through all these really high rocks and there was rocks on both sides and it's exactly what you would imagine mountain lions living in, like these dens. And so I put my three fifty seven a little closer. I put it in my bino holder because by yourself you're just like, Yeah, I don't have anybody watching my back. <laughs> So I had my 357 right uh, right on my chest and just a little bit closer than when I was with uh, the buddy system with the other three guys. So. 357. Um, all right. Hand so you've done this two years now. Yeah. What are we rocking for boots? Can a track. Would you do, do it with anything else? No, not at this point. So what I realized is I love, like, um, Linda got us on some Hoka's. And I love them for this upland stuff because we're just not using, not needing the ankle support. I would like to get hokas that have just a little bit more ankle support, but I like working my ankles a little bit. Out there, there are so many rocks, and you're tumbling and sliding. 
Um, I was super happy with my Kinetrax. Uh, I do wish I would have got insulated. I put some toe warmers in, and I had wool socks, and my toes froze. So I do, I do need to think about getting some insulated for that late season December hunt. I don't want insulated for upland mounting just because of sweating. But I'll tell you, um, Soli, one of my GSPs on my guide string, I haven't told any of you guys this, but the last hunt I guided, she come barreling in on a retrieve uh, behind me and hit me as fast and as hard as she possibly could in my left shin. And I have enormous bruises. I actually <laughs> thought I broke my shin. And you know, it's not easy to break your shin. I, I didn't go in or anything, but I was like, I cannot believe how hard she hit me. She hit me so hard. I was so mad. <laughs> But I didn't even go to the ground, but she, like, hit me so hard, it took my left leg right out from under me. And I was able to stay up, but it is just lumped and black and blue. And those Kinetrax helped just – it's just like it it fit right around it. And I I think I would have been struggling a little bit without those um, high support boots. So I like the mountain boots. She hit you with her head? She hit me with her head. Oh, my God. I don't know how she didn't get knocked out. I don't know if you can see it. Yeah, you can see the lump. Oh yeah, see the see the see the lump there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm showing the lumps, but there's two of them, and I I don't know how she hit me so hard and did not get knocked out, but she hit me hard. So I was a little worried about that. I was like, gosh, dang, my shin is just killing me. So, uh, but anyways, going back day one, John Hundle was a machine. Uh, he did really well. The only time I'm going to say that he uh, whimpered out just a little bit was. He has lost so much weight. He's in excellent shape, but when you put 150 pounds of uh, animal on him, it is hard to hold all that weight and go down. <coughs> it's really hard. Ron Cornwell, um, he's 56 years old. John's 58 years old. Those two guys are absolute machines. Ron never struggled. He just had back surgery last year, just over a year ago. Uh, I think a year and six months. And uh, he he did so well in the mountains. I will say the first day I was the I was the went behind him. I was like, "Well, take another break here. Let's uh, let's catch some air." And I'm about the exact same weight. I was probably maybe five ten pounds lighter than I was last year, but cardio about the same. So, to prepare for this, well, if someone was going to go do this tomorrow, I just broke my. Um, someone was going to go do this next year. <laughs> yeah. What workouts would you tell them to do? Okay, so I got a hill in Utah, in between Utah and Colorado, and there's two sides to it. And I already know what I'm going to do next year. I'm going to put on 25-pound pack like I carry, and I'm going to go up and down that hill. Just up and down. And, and that's a great incline because it's a lot like the mountains out there. You don't have, like, not everything is, you know, I'm going to say 30 40% grade or anything like that, but everything's so loose, that's the that's the obstacle, you know, is, is the loose ground. You got a lot of loose stuff, and you got to go around all the oak brush. Uh, but I would go up and down with your pack and your hunting boots to get ready. Treadmill, screw that. That does not work. Um, you can think, you can put it up at whatever, 20-some percent grade. It'll help, but it's not going to do the trick because... Mm-hmm. You got to be out in that cold air as well, and just get ready for it. Would you get a stairmaster? Mm, I I actually like stairmasters. Uh, I used to use them for wrestling. They're good. Yeah, I think they'd be great. If I had a gym, I'd use it. What Which, What were you using the Alps pack again? Alps. It was a great pack. Uh, we had one QU pack. 
and uh, it was only the 400, but it worked great to carry down a full quarter. The Alps is, I love it. It's just a, it's a great pack for what we do. They use a lot of QU stuff out there. Mountain guys. What were you rocking for camo? Sitka. Sitka? Sitka. And wearing Orvis? I had an Orvis. I bloodied up an Orvis vest. <laughs> Crazy with my elk. Yeah, I'll show you guys a picture. Um, yeah, uh, had an Orvis, uh, had an Orvis uh, vest, and it is it might be ruined, but it was still awesome. I loved having that uh, that soft Orvis um, vest. It, it worked really well. Here you go, guys. Look at it. <laughs> Destroyed. Oh yeah, that thing's gone. Yeah, it's it's shot. Would you wear that on the outside or underneath the coat? Underneath, but I was hot, so I took it off. But it was it was great because that was my second layer, and just to keep my core. And then I put a coat over it. But coming down, it's it was so hot after climbing that mountain that we we ended up shedding some clothes. So looking at it now, I probably should have taken the Orvis vest off and just. Got the blood oh, on the sink. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything you wish you would have brought? No, not at all. I, I had I had everything. We had uh, steaks up on the mountains. Um, always have the fire putty, pyro putty, awesome stuff. Um, we had you know those storm matches. We lit a fire almost every day, but the last day we had a fire. Up once we got to the top of the mountain, we it, we were cold. We would start a fire, and thankfully Anthony, he's a, he's a machine on cardio, but he gets cold really quick, and he doesn't take much for clothes. So we always light a fire when we get to the top. Is that like when you're glassing too? Yeah, yeah. So I I, I said the same thing. I'm like, dude, you, you know, is this going to affect the 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 elk? Absolutely not. So you guys had a fire going, and when we're glassing. But we would always put do it over the over the hill a little bit out of sight, but there was always a fire and we would be glassing the other side. So it'd just be on the back side. So So we'd take turns glassing. When Ron shot his elk, did you guys have a fire going? No, because we just got up to oh, the top. Okay. Yep. That was oh, that was a good workout. Because <laughs> we just got up there. I bet we were up there five, seven minutes. He's like, I got one, got one right here. You know, it was close. We set up. We used the mag um, a magnet viewer for the um, for the binoculars and our um, spotting scope, and it worked awesome. So we put the iPhone right on it, and it's a magnet setup. I think it's called Magnet View or something like that. And it was incredible for getting video of Ron's. We did not have enough time to get uh, a video set up for mine. Did all right. Any? Do you have any other old questions before we move on to the other topic? No. That's a badass story, though. It was cool. <laughs> it was fun. It, you know, it took us a lot longer. Uh, but thankfully, we were able to fly out. Uh, we got back um, Wednesday, and before the before the big, or we got back Tuesday. Sorry, Tuesday night before the big storm. Nate, do you have any questions on Zell Cut? I really want to go right now. You really want to go. <laughs> so so Nate Nate Dog over here. Nate, how long have you been with us? Uh since think, high school. So what were you? Seventeen when you started? I think nineteen. You're nineteen. So you've been with us for what, four seasons? I think so. That sound right? Okay, four seasons. Nate Dog started with us in high school. He actually lives over at the bird farm. And uh, Nate asked me last night, 
I took him uh, to Omaha with me. We had to go um, drop off my elk at the taxidermist. I'm not doing my own taxidermy on. I'm having uh, my mentor Steve Evers do it, and uh, which we're gonna get on this podcast sometime. But uh, anyways, I asked uh, Nate. I said, "What do you think?" He goes, "What does it cost to just go along?" <laughs> I said, "Well, it's just a it's just a day hunt fee." He goes. I really want to go <laughs> next time. <laughs> Did you tell me that? Yeah. I don't blame you. I would want to go. <laughs> John I tell like you what. I tell you what, though. John cracked me up because uh, John wanted to tip the guys. I said, John, we worked the heck out of you. You helped us, took video and video, and you want to tip them? I'd be like, hey, pay me some money. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't be thinking about tipping, but uh, John is so generous. He was wanting to, because he had such a great experience, and I'll let, you know, you'll have him back on here. We'll we'll talk to him about the elk hunt. But uh, he had such a great experience, and, and he said it is not on his bucket list. He shot an elk, which we need to get that story on here sometime. Um, he shot an elk um, illegally. And he now has the antlers because they took him out of evidence, and he legally now has. He's got the elk back. He got the. Well, elk it was back. around here, wasn't it? It was on his property back when there was no season in Nebraska, and there is not a season in eastern Nebraska, anyways. So, long story short, the game more than that ticketed him, gave him back those antlers. <laughs> And we'll let him tell that story sometime because uh, he just said after he shot that elk, he has no desire to shoot another elk. He one and done. Still after this trip, he wouldn't do it. Nope. He would go. He said, I will go in a heartbeat to go along and pack and join the experience. But he has more fun doing the video, taking some photos, and just being along. He doesn't get a big kick out of pulling the trigger anymore. Nope. nope. He's, it's more of the experience for him. 100%. He, he has more fun watching, uh, like, the uh, parent-child hunts mm-hmm. and just watching other people get the joy. Well, of, he of built them. that one deer stand just so he could watch everyone. Yeah, he? the the lookout. Yeah. yeah. He's not going to shoot a deer out of that. Observation <laughs> tower. <laughs> well, Ron and I, with our 28 dollars, we, we could be shooting deer out of that. <laughs> All right. Freaking elk hunts. Uh, yep. On to the next uh, On to the next one. This is going to get controversial. Pheasants Forever oh. made a big post last night saying released birds pretty much they said absolutely they do not make it in the wild. They made they made a lot of stupid comments in my opinion. A lot of non-factual stuff. So, um, and, I, and I can say on the other side but the th- three things, and I, I this is I get on my soapbox on this, but one of my mentors, uh, Dick Bell, and I had this talk, and, and he sent me a voice message this morning. I let Jace listen to it. He was talking to Howard Vincent, uh, you know, the, the main guy of Pheasants Forever. They're not figuring in quality of birds. Like, you can go, you can go, it's like throwing chickens out. Like, yeah. if you get bad pin raised birds, you guys all know this. You throw chickens out in the wild, are they going to make it? Absolutely not. Okay, so there's there's factor one. If you throw a really, really well flight-conditioned, um, wild-like pen-raised birds that's had 20-plus square foot of cover um, in a pen that has cover and only gets fed two to three times, or excuse me, every two to three weeks versus every day, um, on auto feeders uh, and just doesn't have a lot of human interaction and you put that bird out that has good genetics out in a the field 
they will act as much as close to a wild bird as possible. Not their their biggest weakness is, in my opinion, the overhead protection. But they will run, they will hide, and they will fly as close to a wild bird as as I've ever seen. Um, like when we we have hunters and we get into wild birds, we say. They think they're all wild birds. You know, it's late season, those ones that have been pin raised that were released early and they're boiling out of a field when we go down in New Mexico or Texas and they're boiling out the end of the field. Oh my gosh, those are wild birds. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they're wild because <laughs> in Nebraska and South Dakota, once it's released, it's considered wild. <laughs> but, and then the other thing is, is habitat and predator control. So there's three factors, your quality of birds, your predator control, and your habitat which is also your food. Those three factors. And as Dick Bell said, if they only move two miles a year, it's going to take 1,800 years for them to get from Minnesota <laughs> to Montana. <laughs> 16 to 1,800 years. And that's if you have perfect habitat every two miles. Or, you know, vice versa, if you go from South Dakota or North Dakota, South Dakota to Montana or even to Nebraska, you're talking 30, 40, 50, you know, hundreds of years before they make it to certain areas. And that's if they can make it every two miles or make it two miles every two years or excuse me, two, Mm. two miles every year, every year. Sorry. Yeah. So anyways, pheasants forever. They lost a lot of support from me. I mean, I'm just I'm I'm frustrated with them even posting that. Um, I understand they don't want to spend their money, but w- to say to to get on their soapbox and say it does not work, absolutely, do not support it. Well, how you get get upland hunters in these states that need upland hunters for tourism? South Dakota, give me a guess. This is just a guess. Everyone that's listening, these are not true facts. What percentage of birds in South Dakota are wild? The percentage of birds that are harvested, and this is my guess, 80% that are harvested are not wild because of all your preserves. And, and guys, we, I mean, viewers or listeners, we sell a ton of birds to South Dakota. Like, we're doing deliveries October through December to South Dakota, and these are going to all these clubs, and they act like wild birds because they put them out early. It's about the habitat and putting birds out early, not putting them to sleep and having quality birds. We release birds here all the time at Pheasant Now, there's a reason. That's a secret. (laughs) They don't leave. We do periodic releases, but with great habitat, they stay on property. Yep. I, I was telling Jace this this morning, um, but this summer in Utah, right along the tree road by your house, I saw a full clutch of all black chicks. Yep. So tell me. Yeah. They're not making they're it. They're not making it. Well, you guys saw the videos I sent of uh, that late, the late hatch uh, down on the bottoms um, with all those chicks. I mean, 100% those are birds that have been pin, pin reared, <laughs> and they're they're reproducing. You do have to have good predator control and good habitat. They're not going to make it without that. Um, you can't put them out in a bean stubble and expect them to make it. But if you put them in habitat, habitat is key. But you can, pen raised birds do work. Dick Bell, I'm going to throw his name here. We did a project up by Omaha, by Fort Calhoun, in between Fort Calhoun and, and Omaha. And he has been on the board of Pheasants Forever. He's been a huge supporter. 
he will argue this point. It does work. We have birds year after year up on that property, and it was only a hundred plus acres of habitat. So you got me all boiled, well, well, boiled up last night. When you <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because I got tagged in it, and then I got boiled, and I sent it to you guys. What percentage of the birds that are released do you think make it to the next year? It's a it's a low percentage. Okay, I'm not gonna say that it's um, when we're hunting it. When we're hunting the way we hunt, um, it is, I think, less than 20%. Less than 20? Yep. But that is far more birds that are being put out there. Yep. Then. Hey, I'll, I'll say this right now. There are more people harvesting birds on the bottoms in Burke County than they ever have in the last 20 years. Mm. And people are posting about it. They're having fun with it. And why? Why? Why is this happening? Because birds are coming off our property into other properties. We have there's those. everywhere Fesmonanza has CRP. There is someone within a quarter of a mile that has CRP next to us or WRP. Yep. Yeah, yep. Habitat. I mean, it's all about habitat, and and they're they're reaping the benefits, and that's what we want. I mean, that's that's impressive. But it's a you know like our Burke County Bird Bounty. One of our goals with that was to get the bird numbers back up and get people benefiting from those birds two, three, four weeks after our, our uh, annual hunt and they can enjoy it with their friends, family and, and uh, you know, all the way through Thanksgiving. And it's still selling tags the way they made it sound like on, you know, the pen release birds, like what what's going to be more accomplishable. I see long-term. Yes. We want more habitat, and that will be better for birds if we have more habitat. Pheasants Forever isn't putting in 80 acres in every county into <coughs> CRP. No. They're not coming in even close to that. There's a lot of chapters in Nebraska that I know a lot of their money goes to just shooting sports for kids and stuff like that. So if you want to be habitat-based, put money in habitat. Absolutely. That was going to be my next question. What do you think about the youth hunts? I think they're great. You mean them spending? Well, because they're spending money on release We're, birds. Yeah, for youth. Yeah. yeah. So like they're where, okay where with where that. Do, but where, but they said they do not spend money on release birds. Bullcrap. In that it, bull. That's a that's a that's false. That's false. Yes. They every youth hunt we've done, pheasants forever has cut us a check for birds. <laughs> That got me. That cracked me up. And if how would you do a youth hunt with no release birds? Hey kids, hey, kids let's go on a fourteen mile hike, <laughs> a shotgun hike. Yeah, it's a shotgun hike. So you get carry a gun and hike and not see many birds. <laughs> yeah. Pheasant uh, youth hunts are super hard. I would way rather do a youth duck hunt because at least they can see the bird come all the way in, and you know there's a chance you're gonna get in a decoys this bird's gonna fly out of the grass this kid doesn't know what he's doing and they're not gonna have a it's it's hard it's a hard shot if you you know it takes a couple hundred pheasants for you to figure them out all the support that they had a they're they're gonna lose with that coming out was it just the montana one or was it uh was it was that just i can't remember was that just the pheasants forever montana no i believe that was the project Okay. But I believe that it said in there that is Pheasants Forever stance. That's their hard line is what they kept yeah. calling it hard line. Which 
they said something about incubators. I didn't look that far into it, but what, that was a big project like three years ago. How did those birds do? Yeah, um, Broken Bow, Nebraska did a bunch of them. I forget what they were called. Something. They're not incubators, but they're, they're little cages. Serrigators? Yeah, serrigators. Serrigators. The little cages you put out in the CRP that raises these pheasants to a certain age. So they're living in a cage, but they're living in the grass. And then at a certain age, it drops them into the wild. So I would like to see the numbers on that. Some had to make it. They did. They did make it. It was just a lot of work for, I mean, you had to have a propane bottle out there. There was a lot of things for your heat, um, you know, your food. But they were trying to get them to be in their surroundings earlier than, you know, when they're in a pen. But back to your point, you put them in a good pen with habitat and food that they would see in the wild in the pen with them. Well, it's also important. They're going to learn. It's also important that they don't get wet too early. Absolutely. I've always said a drier year, in my opinion, is easier to raise birds than a, than a wet year. It's just wet and upland birds don't do not do well. I don't know, you got to have some water. you got to have some moisture. But I would say with this drought year, we had a better hatch than we've had we, in a long time. We did. Yeah, especially because a lot of our ground is um, flat ground on the bottoms as well. And those hatches always do better when it's a drier year. Now, this was probably in September we did a release, and then we were shooting birds, you know, a couple weeks after on the bottoms. And we were cutting into birds that we knew had been out there for a while, full of grasshoppers. Mm -hmm. They knew how to survive off bugs. That's something that, you know, you don't put couple thousand grasshoppers in a pen with them they learn how to be wild quick you go down to s- some of the ground that we manage down on the bottoms and you hear wild coveys of quail whistling all summer long i mean i would argue that quail are harder to manage for than oh, pheasants by are. far quail even wild quail are stupid mm-hmm. um i would say we are right on the line for quail you know we're gonna have some good years where we'll see some and then we're gonna s- go through a few years where we're not. I grew up in Pender, 30 minutes north of here. Never seen a covey of quail till I moved to Lincoln and went to college. Yeah. But then after I seen them, I came up here. I kind of knew what I was looking for, hearing, listening for, and then I started seeing them, I mean, all the way up to Macy. Mm-hmm. No, I, I said a picture. I had a picture, I think it was on my Instagram uh, a couple of years ago when we had Huns, and there were some um, wild um, coveys, I guess we'd call them covey. What is a group of Huns? Oh, they got to be a covey. They're yeah. covey. Uh, but anyways, uh, not a clutch so anyways i tore it open uh the crop and there was every bug but a lot of grasshoppers like you're saying but every bug you could think of <laughs> was in this crop of this hunt so i mean they were just destroying the bugs for their protein and it was pretty cool seeing them but they they flew really good and they were released from us now when you're releasing birds in Florida, no, they're not going to make it. Now, I'd say Ohio. That's going to be tough. That's on the edge of bird or the bird's population or, I don't know, area. Pheasants do really good in certain areas. Got to be a certain amount of cold, a certain amount of hot. It can't yes. be too far of either. Yeah, and they got to have the they gotta have the cover. Um, what I notice, if it's not the Midwest, like even down in Texas or some of these other areas, they like that taller um, habitat and if you have prairie grass or a brome grass and that's your tallest cover and it falls over in the winter or you know just it's 
doesn't have much for cover. They don't they don't do well. No, they don't like, protect them. They like the weediest, nastiest stuff you've ever seen. I mean, that's where our late season birds. I'm looking at it right now in Nebraska, top of the hill, sunflowers, all the legumes, all the weeds, kosha, kosha, yeah, the fire coat. I mean, just all that drilled in Milo. Well, There's no rose. It's drilled in, so mm, it's thick. tight. Yeah, but they love it. They can get away without being worried about. I would say your the biggest problem with pheasants have sky predators, sky hawks. There's a reason they always want to be in thickets. I mean, I have a three acre patch right outside the farm that always holds probably thirty to forty pheasants. Yep, nastiest cattails you've ever seen. <laughs> oh yeah, and then in the winter it's even better when it freezes. Yes, just nasty cattails in the thickest. You know, it's like when we plant that first year CRP and all you get is weeds. Just freaking nasty. I hate walking through it. But, but the birds love it. Birds just come boiling out of it. And there's across the road, there was, um, we haven't had it for a few years, but there was 120 acres of CRP. You would find most of the birds in that little three-acre section yep. versus what you could walk all that grass and find. Yep. That's yeah, groomed, doing. just groomed grass isn't what they like. No. They love structure. What do you think, Nate? What do you think of habitat? I think it's uh, pretty cool. It's pretty, pretty important, pretty necessary. I know uh, sometimes it gets pretty nasty, like what Jay said. Walking through that thick stuff? Yeah. What did you shoot the other day? You told me you shot. Uh, shot. I forgot my shot, but I think it was a... Uh, Oh yeah, rooster. Uh, what color? Black. Yeah, black rooster. He shot a black rooster the other day. Are you putting it on the wall? Oh, um, obviously not. Tail feather right here. He has a tail feather right here. Here. We don't want. I don't want to fix that tail feather. You just keep no, wearing that. I that's I, an amazing taxidermist. He can fix it. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're gonna put that feather in your hat, and that's where it's staying, buddy. Actually, uh, it ain't the one I shot. Well, one I got. To the house, over at my place, I seen this. Uh, I thought it looked like a weird looking uh, trash bag that was outside, and I was like, "What is that?" And I looked over and I looked at my buddy, and I told him, "Hey, uh, I don't know what the heck this is. That's by my uh, from my place." So he was like, "Well, what is it? Is it a trash can?" And I told him, "Here, I'll just get out of the truck. You stay in." So I shut the truck door. And Who are you talking to? <laughs> who is your buddy who's your buddy oh that was a girl that was oh, a boy. That was what oh, i thought oh. <laughs> but anyways you shot a blackbird that was no a, I, it i didn't shoot it oh, it just uh you let it go it, it was around there for a long time until that really bad weather hit it died right in from my place. Oh, gotcha. That winter so, storm. One other thing, I just remember this story after Nate's. We're hunting the bottoms a year ago, and across from South Carolina, I think there's a, a farm place. We shot a whole bunch of far- birds, and um, the ge- farmer came across and said, hey, you guys look like you guys had a pretty good day. You guys didn't shoot a black rooster, did you? And I just said no, even though we had three of them in the back of the truck. Um, 
and he goes, well, that's good because I've had one that's been on this place for two and a half years. And, and oh, wait, they don't make it. Yeah, they, they don't make it. <laughs> but he's had one on his place for two and a half years. Yeah, he'd been watching. Well, I think he said uh, it eats out of his bird feeder. Though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. No, he's pretty proud of that black rooster. He knows it's the same one too. But I do think he shot it that year. How much would it cost to do a banding project? Most of it's labor. Well, just it's just labor and monitor. Yeah, monitoring it. So it's it's not a whole lot of expense. Why you want to do it? Yeah, let's do it. I would I would just say for the Burke County bird bounty. Yeah, even if we just and just banded those birds. It's just do, labor. It's just, just the bands are the, you know what twenty five thirty cents a piece. Just band all those birds so we can see <laughs> how long and who's shooting them and how far. Yeah, labor's your biggest thing on those because uh, you guys volunteering to do two thousand birds of banding. Yep. All right. Well, we could get it done. <laughs> done it before have you it takes time <laughs> it does but you know we can we can do custom bands and put on their call you know one mm-hmm. shot for band information that way we know so if they shoot one it's boom there you go and we all have to ban the roosters yeah you don't have to ban the, the heads I think that'd be good. It'd be fun. That way we know. It'd be a good, good uh, deal. Whoever Great. shoots the band gets a free in the field hat. <laughs> we gotta get in the field hat. Yeah. <laughs> I gotta get a logo. <laughs> How, how's your uh, sponsorship going? Sponsorship? Um, I believe we are being picked up by. You got Kinetrack yet? No Kinetrack. Garmin? No Garmin. Hoka? <laughs> no, we need Hoka. Sitka? Sitka gave me a maybe. Did they? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cue you. Uh, We're not a mountain goat company. Oh, that's true. That's true. I was thinking you could work on Reed, get it with us, uh, even though they have their own podcast. Give us an Orvis. Orvis. Yeah. Yeah. Orvis Endors podcast. Orvis Endors. What about uh, Stormy Daniels? Yeah, we can get Stormy. <laughs> what a jack wagon. Did you, did you ask him to get on your... What a jack wagon. Mm-hmm. I know that guy's normal. What guy? Stormy Daniels. You don't know who Stormy Daniels is. Yeah, the bug guy. No, that's a girl. Oh, Stormy Daniels is a girl? Yeah, she's very famous. On <laughs> she does movies. At oh, home. Are you dead serious? Yeah. Who's, oh. who's the uh who's the guy I'm thinking of on uh get her, the buck uh Oh, the the guy that does all oh, the hunting videos. They don't go twenty. They don't go. Yeah, Rut Daniels. Rut Daniels. <laughs> oh shoot! I had it all screwed up. He he loves that guy. You like Stormy Daniels more than you like Rut Daniels. Yeah, you'll, you'll Is she pretty? Her. She's just um very famous on the internet. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> let's not go there. <laughs> well, what's your hat called? My hat. Yeah. It's a stormy Cromer. That's stormy what he, Cromer. That's what he was poking at. Cromer. Yeah. Oh, is that what you're poking at? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, wore that, I wore that on the mountain. I had to take it off because it holds in the heat so much. Did you but, drop down the ear flaps? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Every morning those ear flaps came down. Stormy Cromer, guess what? We are getting them in the pro shop, buddy. Are you, are you Logoed. Logoed? Logoed. 100%. <laughs> we even have Blaze Orange. So you have a mid-season and a cold-season hat. My wool hat, my, I guess it's not wool. 
my well, rat. Well, it looks better than this Russian over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What's you in hats? Tips go you up 10%. The, you wear the stupidest hats. And I still make tips. You had <laughs> that know. one. You had the all orange cowboy they hat. They feel bad for him. They're like, this dude needs a new hat. We got to tip him some. You <laughs> <laughs> can't, can't afford proper headwear out here. Oh, hey, I see this Pheasants Forever magazine. It is going in the burn barrel. <laughs> so are you still on the Pheasants Forever? Yeah, you guys are. Yeah, you yeah. guys do well. You guys uh president, vice president. I'm and, not president. Uh, youth chair. I'm leaving the youth chair. You're the youth chair. I'm leaving. Youth chair. Then then do a camo. Then you're going to be the camo youth chair. <laughs> Why can't I be the dog guy for camo? You can't. You are. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you are. <laughs> That's a given. You're already rehoming dogs. And then I'll uh, be the gun transfer for camo. Yeah. But you chair, co-chair right here, Jason Austin. I'm not. Yeah. They or Austin's president. He is. Jason's is leaving the youth chair. I don't mind kids. You just don't like them. I hate parents. What? I hate parents. <laughs> Calling everyone for that youth hunt. How much does it cost? When is it? Like it's free. Um, Here's the date. Saturday. Well, maybe. Well, I'd like to know yes or no so we can order stuff for all the kids. Well, I'll let you know. No, yeah, no, unless you. And know. then three show up that I didn't have on the list, and eight don't show up. And I good just, organization. Try running a youth. One, uh, hey, try running a youth uh, wrestling club. Yeah. One guy hung up on me. Oh, that was nice of him. <laughs> I'm like, I'm offering your kid a free hunt. It's not like I'm a telemarketer. You sound like telemarketer. I do. But. Hi, my name's Jay Sorensen. I was just wanting to know if I can have your kid on Saturday the 11th for a youth hunt. <laughs> hey, so what's coming up on these uh, podcasts? You're back in the... Because Ron Cornwell threw, threw, you, threw you under the it bus. Was, he's it, like, what, has it been six months since he's had a podcast? Yeah, it's been... It's we, been a... It's well, been it's a vacation. Jay's yeah. has been All right, so, with his... Toes in the sand ever since this last podcast. Jason's These nice. guys think that they're so busy. Even uh, Austin over here stopping all the gun raffles. It's like, come on. I'm so busy. Oh, the days are done at 530. It's dark. You guys are going home. Oh, it's so tough. But then in the during the season or off season, it's it's light till nine o'clock, and these guys are working later. But then they think that during the season, so much more work. <laughs> it, all right, it's, so, it's just the customer right, interaction. While, while we're on this, <laughs> it is the customer interaction. Eventually, you just get done talking yeah. to people. Well, you got to have your A game. Me and me and my buddy Brett have had this. We need to get him on here, a, a local farmer. Uh, we have this argument. He puts in a lot of hours. We all put in a lot of hours. He thinks his hours are equal to ours. I said, you have no flipping idea you have to have a game face. Even when you have your down, you can go vent and go in your tractor and do whatever you want to do. We have to have our game face on the whole time. Nonstop. And, it, and even when we have our bad days, we still have to have our game face on. And he's always on his own time. And we're on their time. We're always on their time. So when a hunt doesn't start till 1030, mm-hmm. when it's supposed to start at 9, it runs into our afternoon mm-hmm. hunt. He can do what he wants. He can we, take an hour for lunch. We yeah, we are turning and burning <laughs> and back in it. And the dogs are turning and burning. burning. Dogs look like yeah, if you feel even bad for the dogs on those hunts. Um my New Year's resolution is I want one of these out every week. So You will have one out every I week? I will have one out 
out every week. Okay. Speaking of that. Committed. So that means you guys got to sit down with me. Okay. What? Speaking of that, what? So what do we got? Nine more days? Oh, we have a Mountain Dew. <laughs> we have went. I actually, I bought one for Nate yesterday. And I looked at that thing. I go, if this was in a can or if it was frozen, it would be so good. But I don't like bottled Mountain Dew. I know you like it. I, I, love I do not like bottle, bottled Mountain Dew. I like fountain, can. Those are my two options. I think the bottle tastes the best. See, I don't like the taste of the bottle. But anyways, <laughs> anyways, we <laughs> are going to have we're going to have a uh, Mountain Dew at twelve oh one on New Year's Eve or New did Year's you, Day. New did Year's you Day. think? Oh, oh I was going to go this long. Be um, honest. no, I I I didn't know. Because when you quit drinking Mountain Dew and you brought literally a box full of fruit roll-ups, I'm like, <laughs> what? what in the world? <laughs> this guy gives up Mountain Dew and does 10 fruit-by-the-foot roll-ups <laughs> with the extra the extra big ones. I, I was like, oh, ah, just drink your Mountain Dew, dude. He still has it on his window, $250. If he drinks the Mountain Dew, pointing down to a Mountain Dew can <laughs> or bottle, the fruit roll-ups helped a little bit. But then I was, it gets gets on tiring it's, eating ten yards of <laughs> fruit rolls. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyways, I I I was I'm impressed you'd last that long. Did you think you would make it? Yeah, I knew I'd make it. Uh, there was one time that I was pretty stressed out earlier this year during all the bird runs and stuff like that, and my wife goes. Will you just please pay him and just have a Mountain Dew? <laughs> I said no. I have a lot of will, and I I don't like to I I don't have to win, but I hate losing. I did it out of spite too. I didn't care about the money. Even if you yeah. drank, I was gonna do it just to. But it wasn't even Mountain Dew. I just want everyone to know we haven't done soda. We haven't had a soda in a year. Mm. Almost a year. And that made it really really hard for me to drink. Social drinking. Well, it made you. I drink less. I mean, because you don't like diet. No, I, I told you you're only. What I, can, was your, I can have diet drinks when I'm drinking, but diet Coke ruins bourbon, in my opinion. It's all that nutrient sweet. Yeah, just nasty. Um, I don't like beer. Granted, I don't drink that much anyway. But so all in the summer, I would drink Captain Lemonades <laughs> on the golf course. Yeah, and that's that's fine. And this winter, I would drink White Russians. <laughs> those, those would catch up way too quick versus having a bourbon coke and the, you know when i'm with clients most nights it would be just drinking a coke and act like i put bourbon in it yeah so you didn't have but you couldn't do I it didn't have an excuse because <laughs> i wasn't gonna drink the whole thing of diet coke so yeah i'm ready i'm ready for a nice cold mountain <laughs> and other the only other um soda i really so mountain dew is obviously one i like um cherry cola or cherry pepsi cherry coke i like cherry what did you replace the mountain dew with uh nothing up until about three months ago during the or no not even three months ago i would say a month and a half ago i uh got into the monster rehab again um just for a little pick me up and the, little pick me up he was getting him by the case yeah i bought him by the case <laughs> no. um, but anyways uh yeah, it's a tea and lemonade monster rehab. Great for you. Absolutely not. Um, pick your poison. You uh, went to coffee and 
Great Powerade. Yeah, and you Not like great Powerade. Powerade. <laughs> great Powerade is the best. That's what I would. I gotta have some sugar in the morning. Otherwise, I I just have a lot of uh, iced tea, and I don't even like tea that much. Iced tea and water. He says, if you drink a gallon of water a day, you can't be sick. Have I been sick? You've this never year? been sick. <laughs> you guys never see me sick. sick. <laughs> Butters, start drinking water. I know. What's your New Year's resolution? You got anything? I'm going to do the <laughs> do the carnivore diet all of January. Only eat meat and eggs. Okay. And I am going to start doing gun raffles again. So you're going right. to start doing your job. Yep. So <laughs> doing, doing my job and eating meat. First of the year. Yep. Perfect. And the carnivore diet for a month. What do you think is going to happen with it? Uh, just from the research I've done, just loose stool at the beginning of it like everyone says it's horrible really that loose a loose stool like cleans you out bad because you just got rid of what i would think because you're getting less fiber Mm -hmm. i would think the opposite you'd be shitting that's like like getting hemorrhoids yeah Yeah. (laughs) i don't know what the science is behind it but um i know joe rogan has done this but tell me are you gonna supplement any kind of fiber or no fiber at all i mean just I'm gonna have to do some research. I'm gonna have he to take. Know. I'm gonna take multivitamins, um, and then as far as the fiber, I don't know yet. I'm have you do ever done keto on. before? My parents were keto for the longest time, but you've never done it. Not really. I did it in college, and I lost a bunch of weight. But you got to drink a lot of water because you are gonna piss and piss and piss. <laughs> you just pee everything out. John did uh, dirt, uh, keto, keto. dirty keto. He, that's how he lost his 50 pounds. And he still does it, which yeah. I... the Although, I just, he broke on our elk hunt. Did he get some pasta? No, he, he had junk food. And like, and I'm not throwing him under the bus, but he goes, my body is asking for calories right now, <laughs> and lots of them. Because we were... I'm telling you, we did over 35 miles in four days. And hard miles and he he was doing cookies and muffins and everything um oatmeal cream pies i mean he was he was eating everything but uh he goes this trip my body is telling me i need to eat something else he goes i do not think i can burn everything i'm putting in and we were burning it like you know quick i wonder how his stomach reacting to all that i I was wondering i didn't ask him but it seemed fine but uh, he's right back on it i think it was just that trip he's the mental yeah, it's all that he's got to do because I couldn't. I kept. I would do keto for spurts, just lose it. But you have to do it all the time to stay down. But there's eating out restaurants sucks. You got to go to a steakhouse all the time. It's getting easier because there's a lot of um, a lot of keto friendly mm-hmm. menus now or items. Mm-hmm. But you're right. It's not. You can't go to Olive Garden and no. expect to get. Oh Lord! Like my dad's <laughs> family, they. If they go out to eat, it's fast food, so that sucked. Yeah. It was like, give me a grilled chicken sandwich, I'm going to eat. And I'll get rid of the the bread. Bread, cheese, I guess I didn't want American cheese with it, but it's just. But like Subway, you can go get a egg with your sandwich. So you can use egg white or egg and get your meat and cheese and all your vegetables in that. Egg, I didn't never thought about that, but I freaking hate eggs. Okay, well, then that's not good. What all I really ate ever when I was on it is I would take a handful of cheese, throw it in a pan, and burn it. Oh, that was your chip? That like was my your, tortilla. Yeah. 
And you would hang. I mean, it's just grease running Ugh. off of it. You yeah. have to hang it so it look like a taco. Cook up some steak, put some more cheese on it, and that's what I ate. That's what I don't want to do. I don't want to turn this all meat month into like a grease fest. I want to try to get just good, though. clean, lean proteins. We'll shoot a freaking deer and live off. How long can you do the carnivore diet with just wild game? Well, you have to be a pretty good hunter to do that too. <laughs> I don't know how much wild game I actually have in my freezer. I've got some ducks, some geese. I know where there's some pheasant. I know. <laughs> That's you, what I should try. No, you should. Pheasant. I mean, you should be using the pheasant for in place for chicken. Heck yeah, for sure. In the rooster, save you a lot of money. Do it. I'll try it. But all right, um, coming up for pheasant man's a uh, snow geese season, turkey season. Call, get them booked up. Um, the ice bowl is right around the corner. You want to support camo and um it'll be on the newsletter it's uh same deal as last year we we're we're uh we're doing it through camo instead of oby this year but we got 10 plus pawns um two-person teams looking for sponsors looking for uh fishermen but it's all ice fishing so butters you got anything coming up not yet Nope, not that. Too, get, you guys are going to be doing Pheasants Fest. We're doing Pheasants Fest. Cherry's going to DSC. Dallas. We that'd be a good time to get her on a podcast. Yes. Um. Even um. And then I'm doing SCI with my family. Over is that's in Nashville this year? Yeah, Nashville, nice. So Dallas is Sherry. Um. You guys are doing is it Minneapolis this year? Yep. So you guys get have a good talk with some of the. Oh, I bring a notebook and every Pheasants Forever rep, per, rep walking around. <laughs> you sit the hell down. I want to yeah. get some explanation. Yeah, yeah. Um, we might get kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you guys are How's the yeah. show. We're gone. <laughs> Does Pheasants Forever run Pheasant Fest? Oh, yes. Yeah, 100%. Gotcha. Yeah. It's like uh, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation Nation. runs uh, Cowboy Christmas, the outfitting part gotcha. of it. Yeah. Outdoor Christmas. So. Got that coming up. Um, you got anything coming up, Butters? Shooting sports? Nope. Got we got those Fausty guns. Hey, buy some Fausties. Buy some Fausties. We're still doing gunsmithing. Um, get in contact with me if you want to get added to a little gun raffle. Um, no, I can't think of anything else. Um, I think I'm going to try and do it in May or June. Pheasant Bonanza is going to have the first ever Retriever Classic. Perfect. Well, you'll have a nice pond. Have you seen that pond level? God, it got full. <laughs> We're negative 38 below field temp right now, and that sucker's still filling up. I love the air bubbles. So. Yeah. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of them. There's ice fishing holes out We're, there. We're doing layers of <laughs> ice. <laughs> so, um, first ever Retriever Classic, not attached to the AKC or UKC or anything like that. Um it's going to be re- real life hunting scenarios. Cool. Nothing. I yep. mean, there'll be blinds and stuff attached. I've always said this, and we'll get. I know we need to end this, but I've always thought there needs to be a test that includes it all. Upland, li- upland, waterfowl, oh. and obedience. Those three. Uh, let's. I mean, that's the best all around dog. Everything hunt test in UKC. I mean, ninety nine percent of it is waterfowl. And. 90% of master hunters, I really don't want to take duck hunting right away. Oh, man. 
Yeah. And and even on the on the GS or on the pointer side, the master hunters that come out and guide, it's like they have to tap them to release a hunt out here when we shoot 50, 40, 50 birds would take three, yeah. four hours longer if you had to tap a bird every time that tap them, I guarantee on some of them eighty yard retrieves, they're not finding. No, that bird's gone. Yep. yep. As soon as it hits the ground, it's running. So So be ready for that. Trent said he's ordering belt buckles, so Ooh, those are nice belt <laughs> um, Thanks for listening. Uh, this will be out after Christmas, but I hope you had a Merry Christmas and a good New Year. Thank you. This is the In the Field Podcast brought to you by Pheasant Bonanza.